Welcome to the Dead Elephants podcast featuring Duncan and Chris. Looks like it's time to tackle another elephant in the room. Welcome back to the Dead Elephants podcast. Hey, Duncan. Oh, man. How, is- how are you? I am doing really good because this is this is our first guest. You mean you're not the only one in the room? No, there is a third in the room. Uh, Dr. Cara Martin. Oh, no, no. Dr. Martin. No, no, no. No, no, no. you can call me. The Reverend Doctor? No, no, no. Okay, Professor. Adjunct Professor. Adjunct. That's all I get. Sorry, guys. (laughs) How do you, I've always wondered, how do you say that word? Adjunct. 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 Mm. Adjunct. Adjunct. I just think that means you're next to the professor. That's like the assistant to the regional (laughs) manager. Side by side with the real thing. Um, Well, she's a lot more adjunct than we are, I'll tell you that much. We're not even in the room. Yeah, not even near orbit (laughs) to professor. I don't even know if I've met a professor. No, wouldn't know that. No, I think I've got one on the leadership team. I can't think of one anyway. Yeah. They're there to keep me theologically in check. Kara, it's so good having you on the show. Uh, I, I know that your area of special t- uh, specialty is um, this idea of workship. Mm. Um, we're going to unpack that over the next couple of episodes. And if you're, if you're new to the Dead Elephants podcast, when we have a special guest speaker, they're actually going to feature on the next few episodes. This is well. our docu-series. That's right. And because we really want to jump in and dive in deep to whatever that topic is and give it the air and the space that it needs. Um, and so, um, Kara, welcome. Thank you. Do you want to? Privilege. Because I don't know if that definition of who you are was good enough. Was there any stuff that you want to add to that? <laughs> I guess that's the guts of it, isn't it? <laughs> um, yes. No, I'm a an author, a lecturer. I'm a mentor of people. I um, coach people in various uh, areas, management and leadership and things like that. Um, I'm a mother. I'm a wife. Uh, all those things. Um, That's yeah. why it took us almost three years to get you on the mm. um, podcast. She's adjunct to a lot of things. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot of space. Yeah. Okay. Mm. <laughs> all right. Well, I think what we should do is episode number one, let's unpack a little bit of the ministry that you do and the stuff mm. that you're involved in and what you're really passionate about. And then I think we can probably dive in over the next couple of episodes into some of the key areas within that. Does that sound good? Yeah, absolutely. So my understanding is that you wrote a book called Workship. Mm. In what year was that first one? 2017. Okay. Came out. And we've since mm. had Workship 2 and we're working on Workship 3. Is that yes, correct? Yes, you know all of that. Wow. Now, what did you say last episode? <laughs> Cara needs a new title, I think you said in our previous recording. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't been released well, yet. So very true. unoriginal. Uh, yeah, this bookseller said to me, never name your books like that because so the why? second one never sells as much as the first one, third one just dives. So I'm going Did to you change point the title. Like Led Zeppelin and say, <laughs> look, they got one, yeah. two, three. I think they're in a different orbit. Okay. Sure yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Cara, Cara, tell us, I mean, anybody could write a book mm. about anything. Mm. Cara Martin True. chose to write a book about the intersection of work and faith. Mm. Why? Uh, well, I was asked, is there really? <laughs> you see, I think it takes a quite a bit of ego to think I need to write that book about that mm. and people need to read it. But um, I think that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> exactly. <didn't> stop, Duncan. <laughs> and my argument is proved. Um, yeah. Yes, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there was a, a student that I was teaching when I was teaching at Ridley College in Melbourne and his dad, I didn't realise, was a publisher. And he told his dad about the material I was lecturing on faith work intersection and he, uh, his dad, the publisher wrote to me and said, would you consider writing uh, a book on this? 
uh, it was particularly the term workship. I love that term. And uh, I used to joke in the class, you know, I should publish that book sometime, just meaning I want to keep that term. I love that term and I'd love to to own that in some way before anyone else steals it. And uh, But they assumed that I had already written a book, which I hadn't. Um, but, yeah, it sort of went from there. We started a conversation and they said they were really interested in in publishing on this. And it was particularly because in Singapore what they found there was that there were um, Christians who were going to church on Sunday and then thinking that God had nothing to do mm-hmm. with Monday to Saturday. And so they were throwing themselves into their work and Singapore has a high-intensity work culture and um, and sometimes making heaps of money and just seeing that as completely separate to their faith life. And he wanted a book that began to challenge that. Okay. I often find that like people will talk about this like work-life balance, right? Like that we, we've got mm-hmm. these um, competing forces in our life, you know, and sometimes um, we've got to find a way to juggle family, faith, work, rest, play, whatever you want to call it. And it's like this analogy of kind of juggling balls and I've, I feel really resistant to that. Like mm-hmm. I actually think it's probably better and more honouring to say to a person, "You, you can't. There's, n- there's not a way to juggle that well." And in certain seasons, stuff pulls pretty heavily on you, and you should just be okay with that. Yep. Um, where do you stand on something like when you hear someone's talking about like a balance or? Um, these idea of these different spheres of your life, when you hear stuff like that, how, how does that make you feel as the expert on the subject? <laughs> I say it's a myth. Okay. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, if you take work-life balance, I just hate that for a couple of reasons. One is that work isn't the opposite to life. I mm. think that's a mm. false sort of dichotomy and, uh, and that creates all sorts of issues if that's the way you think, but a lot of people think like that. The second thing is that balance thing. Um, if you think of... A, a balance, um, um, a set of scales, then you need something that's constant to weigh something. So you need um, weights that you can put on and then you can achieve balance. The problem with work versus life is that neither of those are constant. Um, so you might achieve it for one second once in your life, <laughs> this equilibrium, but for most of the time things are moving and shifting all the time. Uh, so I like to think in terms of rhythms and mm. I think that's the way the Bible um, mm. tends to articulate things that's much more biblical in the way we conceive it. So how do you know if you're in a good rhythm? Mm. Well, I think I think it's bad. Um, yeah, a sense of equilibrium and it needs to be tested and checked every day. So one of the things I do every day, I do uh, an examine would be the mm. Latin term, but yep. just, an, you know, an examination of my relationship with God. And, uh, and basically I think, um, how was I open to God today? What gifts did I receive from God? How was I close to God today? And what am I going to do as a result of those reflections tomorrow? Uh, so that's sort of just regular checking in with God and testing and asking reflective questions I think is really critical just to, yeah, to see whether I'm in that right rhythm or not. And it's so obvious when I'm not. Like I tend to have family members or friends who say to me, have you done your exam? <laughs> or, uh, because they've noticed that you haven't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because uh, they can tell I'm I'm out of rhythm yeah. in some way. Um, so, yeah, it really... Once people see you in a good rhythm like that, then, yeah, they're able to sort of prod you when you're not. 
Um, yeah, so I, the other thing that I do is I go to, I have regular beach days. The beach mm. is a place where I just surrender to God and mm. I just um, enjoy God and it's my, I have beach Sabbaths. Um, and I'm not against that. <laughs> I was going to say, there's your next book. If you write a book called yeah. Beach Sabbaths, people will buy that. We're there. Yeah. And, uh, and, my family again say to me, uh, or friends say, "Have you been to the beach lately?" You know? <laughs> yeah. Say, okay, that's that's a clue that um, yeah, things are out of whack a bit, and I need to 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 have that time, deep time with God, and and recalibrate. Do mm. you, Do you find that those moments where you get down to the beach are like, is that like a pause reset for you? Is that a happy mm. space for you? Is it a contemplative space for you? Because you know, I think I have those moments. And they serve as anchors for me. Is that mm-hmm. I kind of have to return to base almost of those kind of experiences. To, um, you know, we did an episode on mindfulness a couple of episodes back, but like recenter myself. Yep. Is that how you feel? Hundred percent. Yeah, it's all of those things. It's. Um, I don't have to ask where God is when I go to the beach. It's almost like instantly. That's my space where I sense God, and maybe something different for other people. Some people might find it in the bush or <laughs> some yeah. other place. Uh, there may be a comfy chair where they instantly have a sense of God's presence. But for me, sort of the beach is the place um, uh, where I just, it's like heaven touches earth for me. Like I, I, I don't have to try and find God. It's just like, mm, He's I'm everywhere. here with you. Yeah. And, um, and I think there's something about, uh, you know, the, the liminal space of that, the limitless. You're looking out at the horizon, but you know the ocean keeps going, which just helps me to become more grounded, like in in a strange way that that here I am certain where I am and that God is in control. And there's things that I have absolutely no no control over, but that's okay. Um, and what else? I think also there's just that. Yeah, I think during in the fall. The, what sin impacts on is our relationship with God. So at the beach, I feel connected with God again. Relationship with each other. So often at the beach, I start to reflect on my relationships and how they're going. And then it's relationship with creation. And that's the other thing that I feel really connected in to again. So I'll walk up and down the sand and I'll begin to become really aware again of creation and the temperature, what's happening around, the sound of the waves, birds flying and and just reconnect. So it's sort of a reconnection place. Mm. I'm not a beach person, but I, I do see what you're saying. <laughs> I can imagine you can easily find God at the beach. What about at work though? Mm. I, I'm assuming behind all of this is, to your rhythms point, you're finding your restorative recharging moments mm. So that when you're entering, I suppose, what we think of as the more burdensome moments of our <laughs> life, we have the reserves to do that. Mm. Um, how does a person of faith see God in the office mm. in the way that they see God at the beach? Or is that not even the goal? Uh, it's absolutely the goal. And I think part of the problem is that um, we have this real dualistic thing where we tend to contain God in certain places and usually it's church on a Sunday. Yeah. Uh, so most people, when they think of God at work, they think that they have to take God to work, uh, almost like God's in my backpack and I'll go to work and I'll let God out every now and then when someone asks me what I did on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't, God is actually He was already there before yeah, you arrived. That's yeah. right, that's right. He was yeah. already working away there. He's already at work, uh, at work in the people that you see around you, maybe at work through your work in some aspects. So, um, yeah, I think the beach is that sort of really big restorative thing for me, but it enables me to begin to see God's fingerprints again in my work and in my workplace and in the people that I work with in, in different places. Mm. You used to love that quote by, I don't think she said it, she for sure ripped it off from <laughs> someone else, but Brooke Ligerwood Liger said, um, um, there is no such thing as a secular sacred divide because there is no place where Christ is not. 100%. And I just think that that's um, so true, but there's also got to be some kind of recognition, right, that when you go to work, you're there to work. Like proselytizing can be a pretty toxic thing to bring into a workspace that isn't obsessed with God but is obsessed with um, productivity and, and money. And so I would think finding the balance in in that scenario can be really challenging for some people because not every environment, you know, like I walk into a church we're there for Jesus mm-hmm. makes it really easy. When I worked for, you know, a radio station, I walked in there and we, we happened to work for Jesus, you know, and so that, that made it very easy to be bold in my faith. But if you're, you know, in just a, a regular office environment and you're doing, you know, financial accounting, it's <laughs> like it's not everyone in there is team Jesus, right? That's right. So you might need to be respectful yeah. <laughs> and curious um, and, yeah, uh, yes, you're there primarily to work and I think that's that's a critical thing but there are a whole load of ways that you can actually connect with God and worship God in that space. Um, so one of the ways is doing your work excellently. So Jesus talked about, you know, by your good deeds, people may see your Father in heaven. Um, so if you do excellent work, then that may be a way that people say, begin to inquire what is the source for that. Um, I think uh, there are often opportunities for pastoral care in an office environment um, where you can just get alongside and encourage other people. Uh, I remember my husband once worked at a place and he got a tip off about something and he went to this other guy and he said, oh, you know, just to let you know, this thing is happening in your area. And the guy said, what are you doing? Why are you helping me? (laughs) Yeah, and my husband said, "Oh well, so that you can you're make some adjustments, yeah. be prepared." You yeah, know? yeah. And this guy said, "Don't you realize we're in competition?" He said, "Don't think I'll come to you if I hear anything." Wow. And right. it was just like, "Oh my goodness!" But, but that was actually that made David stand out um, because he wasn't doing that hyper competitive, ambitious type functioning. He was saying, "No, we're in this together." Uh, so that sort of attitude, you can actually stand out quite easily in some offices just by simple, humane things like that, um, offering care, getting alongside someone, um, offering to pray for people. There, I have never in any work environment that I've been in, if I've offered to pray for someone, they've never said, no, don't pray for me. Yep. Um, and you're not necessarily saying with you. No, you're no. Not, you're no. not invited. That's you're the just next saying, step. But sure. just <laughs> I will pray yep. for you. Yep. And then I say, do you want me to pray with you right now? And sometimes, they, I mean, most of the time they say yes even to that. Um, and that's, yeah, so there's lots of opportunities to do that. I think also just inviting God into the everyday. God's as interested in the numbers that you're crunching as an accountant as he is with, you know, the moments when you're getting up the guts to to ask someone whether they'd be interested in coming to church. Like I think... 
God is interested in the detail of that stuff. This is his creation. All of it is his. He's interested in the way it works and the way it moves. And there's a whole load of stuff that goes behind numbers in accounting in a business that actually be really great to invite God into. Mm. Mm. I remember Tim Keller saying in a sermon once, a moment that really moved me, he was he was trying to break down this sacred sacred secular divide. He's talking about um why would he need to do that? It's already done. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> he was the prelude to Kara. He wrote the introduction. It's not like Jesus needed help with that. Oh well I'll wait until Keller gets on it. But no, keep on going. <laughs> don't don't hit me on Keller Duncan. You know it's my soft spot. It's fine. Um but he talked about cleaning a kitchen at home. Yeah. And if you really play it through to its end, if you don't mm. clean that kitchen and you just leave it to fester, eventually someone's going to die. Yes, <laughs> A bacterial true. infection. Mm. You know, we, we see it as so mm. mundane, but when we play the sliding doors of if I don't reconcile mm. that balance sheet, mm. if I don't clean that kitchen, if I, mm. the chaos that will ensue by my mere absence, mm. we don't often think about what would happen if we don't turn up mm. and the way that that disrupts order and mm. brings chaos. And I think when we play that sliding doors – Dignity starts to emerge and, yes. and purpose starts to emerge yes. because the, I mean, for me, my um, unwillingness to accept that notion is, am I okay being a piece of a much bigger puzzle? And my heart to want to be God, quite frankly, sometimes isn't satisfied with that, mm-hmm. but I have to make peace with it. But to know that I'm part of a bigger story of redemption and order and what I have done today has actually made a difference mm-hmm. when I think about what would have happened if I hadn't done it. For me, that's been an important emotional transition to make, particularly for the last three years I've stepped out of ministry and been primary carer of my family. Oh, and there's moments of mm. indignity that mm. you feel with that. Mm. Um, but again, the I think about it about the legacy of omission. Mm. Um, what legacy am I inspiring by not exposing my kids to certain traumas mm. or not creating certain mm. patterns of chaos? No one will ever see that. Mm. But when I think about the difference that that has made, that's changed my thinking a lot. It's beautiful. Um, Martin Luther um, was pretty big on this as part of the whole, you know, reforming stuff uh, 500 plus years ago. Um, and he's actually written something about men changing nappies, which I think is beautiful and saying someone was, um, it was part of his table talk stuff and someone had been um, making fun of another guy for changing a nappy. And um, Aunt Luther came down hard and said, you can change nappies to the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it's beautiful that over 500 years ago, a great church theologian (laughs) said something like Mm. that, but giving dignity to that very simple act. um, And he actually contrasted it with some of the great things that you could do as a human being, but saying, you know, that's just as important because it's the heart with which you do it. Uh, and is, is that is that mm. the key to it? Is it is it not about the what, but the why and how? Is that what it comes down to? I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, there will be times when the what becomes important as well. <laughs> um, and it's also about the who, who I am. I am in Christ. And so whatever I do, wherever I am at, I am, I'm still in Christ. So my, I take that identity into every place. And that actually shapes the way I do everything I do, the way I talk to people, the way I, um, yeah, consider other people as I'm just having familiar conversations. Um, some of the, the thoughts that may came into my head, might come into my head that are judgmental or whatever, I need to shoo them away. Like it, it impacts everything you do. Um, but, yeah, the heart with which you do it, I think that was the, the fundamental shift that um, I know some people have needed to have, that they see that, 
this work, the thing that, that changes it from just a thing that I do to an ability to, to use this to worship God is the heart with which I do it. I do it in a way that I seek to honour God. I do it in a way that I seek to serve others. I think, um, you know, we had this conversation at um, church about this idea of like three um, overlapping circles, mad on a Venn diagram. <laughs> um, top top circle is... Sick for a Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, mate, love it, is who. Like who are you? And then the mm. second one is what, why are you here? Mm. And the final one is what should I do? And yes. the idea being is that the what and the who don't overlap. Mm. It's the why that overlaps. Mm. And so nice. who are you is that for someone who calls on Jesus, you know, as Lord and King, you're, you're a beloved child of God. That's mm. who you are. Mm. And that doesn't change. It doesn't shift. It doesn't uh, waver. And then the question becomes um, why am I here? Mm. Um, and I think, you know, Presbyterians want to hear they do a lot right, but I think what they did really well was the Westminster Confession. Um, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever is really beautiful. Yeah, it is. Um, I would say that that's probably, you know, a rendition of to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And so as a Church of Christ guy, I prefer to use scripture. Um, <laughs> and we just, um, that's your that's your why, you know. And then yeah, that's then I think to your point, um, your what then becomes what am I supposed to do? Mm. And people of, often substitute what for who and why. Yeah. yeah so, that's right. so one of the greatest challenges I found is that you can become so obsessed with what you're doing that it starts to become who you are. And when yes. your what is removed, you are shattered mm. because you've replaced your what with your who. But oh, I know who's this, on first? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sorry. laughs> I was failing it too. I was failing it too. But it also it also it. takes God out of certain scenarios. Yes. That yeah. question of what does God want me to do? Yeah. As if there's one avenue with which He could mm. be in, and therefore one avenue in which He's not. Yes. Yeah. And that's bad theology, actually. Totally. Whether I go left or whether I go right. Mm. Sure, I want to make a good decision, but if I, and I wouldn't say it, but in my emotion what I'm starting to believe is that God's going to be there and he's not going to be there. Mm. Yeah. And that's problematic. 100%. Jonah choose, chose not to do what God said. It's not like he was like, oh, gosh, I've got, got to chase him in the ocean, someone find me a fish. Yeah. He was fully prepared to be at work through that situation as well. Mm. A little bit more stinky and a little bit more damp, but, <laughs> you know. So I had um, a guy who was a business guy. He was an investor and very successful and he was showing me around his, his business and I was really impressed. And I said, do you have people who aren't Christians working here as well? And he, he said, yeah, absolutely. And I said, wow, that's really impressive. And I said, how do you, how do you balance that though? Like you seem so 100% sort of focused on 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 Christ in the what you do and the way you do it. And he said, oh, he said, see that room there? That's the boardroom. And I said, yep. He said, I check my faith at the door when I walk through there and everyone around here knows it. And I just froze in myself and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, when I go in there, he said, I can get angry, I can swear, I can let them have it. They know that, you know, that's in there. Yeah. There's no nice Christian stuff. I'm absolutely at it. Um. And I couldn't, 
I don't think my face could disguise <laughs> my disappointment with that statement. Mm. Like I just think that's that's actually terrible theology and mm. terrible, not a great way to act. And and what are they learning about Jesus through that? But uh, it also disturbed me that he felt that he he couldn't Christianly go into that boardroom and make hard decisions and be honest and so on. Um, like yeah, I don't. I don't think you can check your faith at the door, but that's what a lot of people do end up doing as Christians. They feel to survive in the workplace, that's what you have to do. You check your faith at the door. And then when you go to church, you, church, you check your, your work at the door of church. Is that you know? just because it's uh. too hard to meaningfully think? Is it is it too hard to work that out with fear and trembling and therefore we take the lazy option? I think so. I think that people haven't often heard much about it yeah. anywhere else. Um it's not often spoken about from the pulpit. It is from your churches because you guys are awesome. But mm. but there's a lot of people. It's, who, it's good to be acknowledged. She's not <laughs> right. Yeah. Thank you. And humble. <laughs> um, but, Humblest guy I know. <laughs> but, yeah, people often haven't heard much about this and haven't been taught this. The thing I do to shock people first up um, is that I say, you know why people were created. They were created to work. Yeah. And people are like, what? Yep. Yeah, good. Look at Genesis 1, you know, yeah. you were created the very first I was command. so angry when someone pointed that out. Seriously, <laughs> I really? threw my t- – oh, my gosh. So I won't make this about me, but – Please. I will for a minute. Um, I shared on last season on my 30th birthday, I ended up in a psychiatric hospital. The big trigger point to that was anxiety and indecision about career choices. Wow. So this is – I've been a little bit nervous about talking to you, oh, but also um, curiously observant and – wanting to learn because this has been a really, really hard journey for me. And I don't know mm. where it came from because my parents didn't force it on me. My my school did. So it's an internal pressure that I've had on myself. But I my application had been that, well, work just sucks mm. because I don't know how to reconcile this. And so when someone said, you know, work was there before the fall, yeah, my first reaction was, screw you. <laughs> No, like man. if you, wow. they're naming I, animals, no. they're tending fields. I was, I was in oh, ignorance until yeah. you pointed that out, and now I can't be ignorant yeah. to that fact anymore. Rats. And it was, it didn't get me off the hook anymore. <laughs> so I've come to. It was a book called. Uh, you, you might be familiar with it. Uh, Your work matters to God is yeah, the name of the sure. book. So that was the Classic. first one that mm. was ever introduced to me on this mm. topic. That I thought you were going to say Mister Busy, but that's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was reading Mister Men books. <laughs> 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 but yeah, look, it's been that that reality that work is pre-fall is such a simple point, mm. but so profound in its implications. Yeah. Well, yeah, the other depressing fact is that you'll work in heaven. Yeah, I oh, know. <laughs> yeah, no retirement. You can't escape it. <laughs> but like, I feel so differently about this. Like, I actually feel like, and I'm probably going to annoy a whole bunch of geriatrics, but like, I think retirement is just awful. Oh, yeah. Like uh, you get these incredible individuals who have all these uh, amazing skills and we just say to them at an arbitrary age of 65, you're kind of no longer valuable for a workforce and so we're just going to season you out. And yet they're like brilliant. Mm. And I I, I, I kind of, you know, I've, I've got a bunch of friends who have the capacity now to retire and no longer work and pick what they want to do. And I keep saying to him, you could be so bored. You're so high capacity and you're so excellent. You've done all this work to get to a place where you're like mid 40s so you can just stop and you're going to last about six weeks before your wife goes completely insane 
because you're so busy around the mm. house. And she's like, can you just get out of here because you this is my sanctuary. Mm. And it's like surely work can still be fun post-fall. We just have to be aware that it's not like we're not batting a thousand, mm. that sometimes we put our hands to it, it falls apart, mm. and that's probably part of a sanctification process that we need to go on, right? 100%. So that's the third depressing thing that, there's no such word for retirement in the Bible. And, and yeah. I don't think, I think work is fundamental to who we are as human beings. We're not meant to not work. Um, we may stop paid work at some point. Um, we may, yeah, we may um, decide to, to really explore some of our creativity that we haven't had time to in the past because it, it isn't rewarded the same way. But, but whatever you do with intent or purpose, I define as work. Mm. And, I love that. And, okay. we, that is and we need that. We need to find things where we do that. We need the joy of losing ourselves in something uh, like building with Lego or something like that. Which... <laughs> as she looks around the room. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. Can I just uh, can I point out that the reason I build so much Lego is because there's a start point and the end point, and I yeah. spend most of my life working with people where there is no end point except eternity with Jesus. So mm. I can get to the end of building a TIE fighter and it's flipping done. That's great. And it's great. Yeah. There's a real sense of satisfaction when I look at it. Is that what them. helps you sleep at night, isn't it? That's that mate, mate, why do you think so many pastors end up mowing lawns? True. Because it's done. Yeah. Yep. It's you tangible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, we need that. This is, we've spoken a lot about Christian subculture, if I can put it that way. <laughs> in, a, in our broader culture, what are the things that you see happening? Mm. Um, I guess post-COVID would be one phenomena there in terms of our work. But just generally, what's what's happening in broader cultural approaches to work and how do we as believers um, seek that with wisdom without uh, taking everything blindly and accepting but mm. be discerning? So where are we going broadly and how do Christians think about those broad trends? Okay. In just a couple of minutes or? <laughs> about 90 seconds, Cara. Okay, right here. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's a couple of really big things that have happened. So it hit more in the States than here, but the great resigna resignation was one thing. So during COVID, there was a real, I mean, what was good about COVID was a lot of the walls that we put up were broken down. So there, there was no sort of artificial wall between work and home or even home, work and church, all those walls were broken down. We did everything in the one space. And that was actually quite healthy, I think, mm. uh, because this idea that work only is something that you go to somewhere else is an illusion. What was bad about that was that work became 24-7 um, mm. and that was unhelpful and unhealthy because we need these rest work rhythms that we've been talking about. Um, but that led, that time of introspection that people had a chance for led to people thinking, wow, do I just want to be a wage slave for the rest of my life or do I just want to make widgets or do I want to, you know, they started to think, what is my life about? Where is the meaning and purpose? Um, and so a lot of people ended up resigning from their previous work as a result of that. Um, I think one of the troubling aspects of that as believers is that there is no perfect job where you will find meaning and purpose. Work was never meant to hold all of that. Mm. Um, Jesus holds all of that. Mm. So so trying to find meaning and purpose purely in your job doesn't work. But, yes, there is meaning and purpose in knowing that God asks us to steward his creation and we do that through work. Um, that's a different thing. So that distinction of not 
trying to have work hold everything that I am or my why am my who, but seeing that that is secure in Christ. And therefore I can, I have a freedom that I bring to the work that I do because I, I can, I can see its place yeah. in, in the way God created everything. That's an important thing. The other thing that started happening is this quiet uh, resignation type thing, the quiet quitting on yep. the job, that thing. Um, and it's got different terms in, in different places. I think in China it's called lying flat, which I <laughs> quite yeah. like. So, yeah. you know, I do the work that I'm meant to do and after that I'll just lie flat. <laughs> um, I think that's an unhealthy sort of aspect to work as well. It comes from this basis of I don't want to, uh, yeah, I'll only do the work that I'm paid to do. I won't give my work more yeah. than I'm meant to. Um, which, you know, there needs to be negotiation around that. Your workplace will always seek to take more of you than you're prepared to give, and that's whatever job you're doing. Um, but I think I think this thought that, therefore, you know, I suddenly cut off. Well, someone's going to pay a cost of that, and sometimes it's your work colleagues who do. Um, you know, someone's got to step in and take up on that. Uh, so it's an it's an unhealthy view of work in the sense of, that work is part of a capitalist machine that's trying to drive me into the ground. Um, that's an unhealthy way of looking at work as well. So being aware of those things, um, those different tensions, I think sometimes the quiet quitting can almost turn into the the aspect of, of wanting to be idle, ideally, versus making work an idle, I-D-O-L. Yeah. I think both of those extremes are unhelpful and the Bible talks about both those extremes. So... In Thessalonians, it's the sluggard. Yeah, well, yes, there's that. Um, look at the ant, how busy mm -hmm. the ant is. But it's also Paul talking to the Thessalonians and saying, no, you, ne you need to work and feed your community and look after other people. You know, work is has its place and it's important. Um, so, yeah, I think some of those tensions that we're seeing in society, there is still uh, – it's interesting, I was talking to um, – a management consultant recently, she was saying everywhere she goes, people are talking about meaning. How can I find meaning in my work? So that's a really big thing at the moment. And actually I think there's an opportunity as Christians to speak into some of that as well, that, yeah, work is is a place where we can get a sense of of meaning and purpose. we just got to make sure it's not that ultimate meaning and purpose. Um, but, yeah, work isn't just meant to be something I do to earn cash so then I can really live. Work is meant to be more than that. And I think people are sort of trying to figure out how they can get more out of their work. Um, the other big theme that happens through workplaces is the idea of well-being. Um, and these are some of the, especially lately, there's this term psychosocial harm and being mm. careful not to have that in the workplace. Um, and this is where sometimes you can feel the rub as a Christian because it means that in the workplace we we are supposed to be sort of inclusive and embrace um, other people and be careful that that our language and what we do doesn't harm other people in the workplace. And I think that there's a really good and healthy and helpful aspect to that. And, and as Christians, uh, you know, the idea of people being made in the image of God and having inherent dignity, um, that didn't exist before before the the age of Christianity that concept um, carrying through so so that's an important concept but um, sometimes there can be tensions in the workplace over that because what it can mean in some workplaces is not that we see that we come up against someone 
even let's say someone of another religion. So you get a Christian and a Muslim together. Well, we're never going to entirely agree there, but we, we're going to be able to work alongside each other and and tolerate, even be curious about each other. Um, but I'm never going to say um, necessarily that that someone of another religion has it all right and and deserves to be preferenced. Um, so, you know, there are times when you just can't agree on everything and I can't advocate and support um, in that place. Uh, that can that can have some tensions in the workplace, um, but hopefully we can have, I think John Dixon referred recently to ethical imagination to be able to hold things that we disagree in tension but still love the other person and care Absolutely. for the other person. Democratic society has two people with opposing viewpoints and we need to find a place to find commonality, mm. which like for Christians becomes, to your point, like you can still love a person in their humanity yep. even though we have um, cultural conflicts, um, sexual conflicts, religious conflicts, economic conflicts, mm. um, demographic conflicts. Like, I mean, there's... If you, you know, there's, there's so an endless list, right? There's an endless <laughs> list of conflict that you could set yeah. up if you wanted to, but there is a place where humbly you could mm. love a person just for being a person yep. in the name of Jesus, yep. right? Yeah. Um, so I think I w- I'm probably going to call it to an end on this episode because what I'd like to do is is kind of double down on this career stuff mm. in the next episode, especially because it's very anxiety inducing for Chris. Um, it's just. True. <laughs> Cara, at the end of next episode, I want to know what the call is over my life. <laughs> okay, we'll sort it that out. That is my no expectation. <laughs> All right. Uh, listen, if you've got any feedback, please jump on the Discord server. Uh, give us your feedback then. Obviously, I have become Amish and quit social media completely. Um, we're going to jump back in with uh, episode number two on do we choose a career or does work choose us or is someone else doing the choosing? If you've got any questions about what job you should do, Car is going to solve it next episode, <laughs> next week. Uh, tune in. We'll see you again then. See you then.